Thanks for tuning in to the Ecclesia podcast. We are a group of people committed to proclaiming the words and doing the works of Jesus and his kingdom. And these podcast episodes are conversations we're having in our community. You can join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm very happy to be here with you all today. My family has been at home for the last couple of weeks. We had family in town and then my kids were sick. Um, and I've really missed you guys. So as we've been journeying through the liturgical year, I want to take a minute and place ourselves, so to speak. We've just endured the death of Jesus, that terrible time and good time between Friday and Sunday, when it looks like all is lost, the Jesus that we've known wasn't who we wanted him to be. And then comes Sunday, Easter Sunday. We know today that that was the fulfillment of a glorious promise long coming. But for today, right now, imagine with me that we're back 2,000 years ago in the shoes of the disciples in those moments and days and weeks that were immediately following Jesus's resurrection and reappearance. Because I think that'll help us get a little bit different perspective in our lectionary text today. Uh, it's a familiar scripture, and I think taking a little bit of a different look at it will help us. So I'm going to read from John chapter 20. I'm going to start at verse 19. I didn't set that up high enough, but that's fine. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Judeans, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the, of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. It was a long piece of scripture, and today I want to focus on the experience of Thomas in this piece. The church, you know, kind of writ large, has dubbed Thomas doubting Thomas. 
And I kind of hate that. St. Thomas, as he has since been granted sainthood, was a devout follower of Jesus. At the Last Supper, Thomas was ostensibly ready to die with Jesus. He said, let's, all right, if we're all going to, like, if you're going to die, we'll all go with you. And that's intense. So when Jesus comes back and appears to a group of his followers, of his disciples, Thomas apparently isn't there. So, Again, we need to shed these 2022 viewpoints, right? We know now so much of what's happening in the, in the context of, of this time period, right? But Thomas couldn't have known these things at the time. Here's what he did know. He had left behind his life to follow Jesus for three years, and he was ready to follow Jesus unto death. And now Jesus is gone and there are people who are angry with Jesus's followers and they're in fear for their lives. And then the other disciples say, Jesus has appeared to us, but Thomas hasn't seen it. He, he has his experience and then the things that he hasn't experienced. So, so there's these two different experiences, right? Thomas's and the disciples. Jesus who, again, to everyone's best knowledge is dead. I can't emphasize this enough. He appears to a group of his followers, apparently coming through a locked door. They're a little skeptical. I think we would be too. And in fact, Jesus shows them his wounds and then they rejoice. They have this experience where Jesus teaches them and breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Imagine for a moment the joy in that room. Their Jesus who was dead has returned to them. It's really him. Look at the wounds. As I write these words, I'm nearly, and read them to you, I'm nearly overcome with emotion thinking of what that must have been like. But Thomas wasn't there. He didn't get that experience. So he comes back from wherever he was when Jesus appeared to them. And our dear Thomas doesn't believe them. He says, until I see this for myself, I cannot believe it. And honestly, me either, Thomas. I'm a constitutionally nervous person. I'm a skeptic and I'm fairly intense, if I'm honest. I see a whole lot of myself in Thomas. I'm not necessarily rushing myself towards martyrdom, like I see Thomas maybe doing at the Last Supper, but I've known, been known to be highly committed to things, if not unto death, certainly unto my own detriment. Uh, and death is pretty final. I think that's part of why it's so hard for us to deal with. The permanence of death is a very difficult thing for human brains to grasp. And Jesus was dead, dead, dead. So why do we think it's foolish of Thomas not to believe that Jesus had returned if he hadn't seen him? And frankly, it's right there in the text. The rest of the group doubted it too until they saw the wounds. So I think Thomas gets a bad rap and I think we should be done calling him Doubting Thomas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Done. Done. (laughs) Tiffany agrees. 
I also wonder what what all was in wrapped up in Thomas's doubt. What was he having a hard time believing? Was it that Jesus was there to start with? Perhaps he also couldn't believe that Jesus would appear all these times to all these people without actually appearing to Thomas? He was one of Jesus's 12 closest disciples after all. He was devout and zealous in his following of Jesus. Why wouldn't Jesus want to see Thomas kind of ASAP? <laughs> was it possible that his feelings were a little hurt? I think mine would be. So we've I've built this case that I think we're going to quit calling him Doubting Thomas. But it's hard, it, like aside from that, it's hard for me not to take it personally when folks are hard on Thomas for his doubt. As I said earlier, I see an awful lot of myself in Thomas. And I think... I'm not the only one in this room for whom that's true. Maybe. At the risk of overgeneralizing, our little community here is made up of a lot of folks who like evidence and facts and results. And it seems like, to me like Thomas was also a guy who wanted to see hard evidence. So... Stick with me. This is it. We're tying this together. I, I've had a realization while meditating on this scripture passage that I want to share with you because I, because when I'm reading scripture and perhaps when we're all reading scripture, I'm not just reading to learn facts about Jesus, God, God's people. I, I might also be doing that, but I'm looking for myself in the scriptures. You see, while I do think that I have a relationship with Christ, I am not a person who is ever going to have interacted with Jesus in the flesh. The historical walking around person is gone and barring some sort of miracle that I'd have a pretty hard time accepting anyway. I'm never going to meet him. So when I read about how Jesus interacted with those around him, I'm looking for myself in those people. And the questions I'm asking, and I think the questions that we're all asking, are actually really vulnerable questions. What would Jesus think of me? How does Jesus see me? Am I worthy of Jesus's attention and affection? So when Jesus appears to Thomas, and Thomas is skeptical of this whole situation, I see myself Believing that someone came back from the dead is a pretty pretty hard sell for me. <laughs> Obviously, I'm here and I'm talking to you about it, so I've been sold on Jesus' resurrection, but I can certainly understand why at the time it was a hard thing for Thomas to believe. But Jesus doesn't chastise Thomas. He doesn't tell him to suck it up and have more faith. He doesn't even seem disappointed to me. Jesus says to Thomas, No, here are my wounds. Stick your hands in them. It's really me. I'm here. And I had heard this scripture passage so many times, and maybe you have too if you grew up in the church. 
so many times. And I was fully an adult before someone pointed out to me that after his resurrection, Jesus still has wounds. You know, the like the big eyes emoji? Not the one that's a face with big eyes, but the one that's just the eyes. That's how I feel sometimes when I think about that. So this next piece feels tricky to think about, and I just want to name that. Not as a cop-out, but a way to signal that that even the people who stand up and talk about God, or maybe especially we people who stand up and talk about God, are also in process and getting things wrong and struggling with how to understand and talk about things, but that shouldn't scare us off it. Our tradition, in particular, has a strong history of things like praying for physical and emotional healing for people, and believing that when the kingdom comes in its fullness and all things are set to right, illnesses and disabilities will be no more because our bodies will be perfected. Right? But Jesus' appearance with the very wounds that killed him seems to challenge that pretty strongly. So I'm left asking myself what it might mean that Jesus appears to his disciples with his wounds fully intact. So for starters, I think that it means that in all things being set to right, all things will not be erased, even those things which are bad enough to have killed us. I think it also really forces us to rethink how we talk and think about disability and illness. Perhaps we're just wrong to treat all disabled folks as being in need of some kind of bodily healing. I'm not going to talk for anybody else, but I am being called to repent of that attitude. So for Thomas, for Jesus to come back and say, here are my wounds. It's really me. I'm here and I have evidence for you is really meaningful. Jesus's resurrection does not gloss over the ugliness of his crucifixion and death. It all belongs the doubt, the wounds, the death, because Jesus didn't die to brush over death or to erase death or to make death unnecessary. He didn't come back and tell us to get over death or not to worry about death. I'm known to say only somewhat jokingly that there are two kinds of Christians, Good Friday Christians and Easter Christians. And I'm a Good Friday Christian. And I think Thomas would have called himself a Good Friday Christian too. But John's gospel here doesn't let us get away with a dichotomy like that. The risen and wounded Christ, in the risen and wounded Christ, we have a perfect union of the wounds of Good Friday and the resurrected Jesus of Easter. The glorified Christ is the wounded Christ. They are the same. Our Jesus comes back to us wounded. His trauma is part of him now. And it belongs in the kingdom somehow. So perhaps we can see that everything in us, including our trauma, also belongs. Not because it was good or right that bad things happened to us, Not at all, but because they will be redeemed. After all, those wounds that killed Jesus, 
they let Thomas and the other disciples believe that Jesus was truly with them. That which was meant to harm was ultimately used for our benefit. Not just because Jesus died and overcame death itself, although that's obviously enormous, but because even after all of that, those wounds still had purpose. In Jesus, we see that God's presence with us is not a sterile one. From the start, God comes to us in the vulnerable presence of a baby born of a young girl, and we see that vulnerability carried through to the cross, yes, but even after the resurrection, God's presence is open, vulnerable, and exposed. This is, of course, messy. Wounds are open for infection. But it is also absolutely beautiful because it brings a whole new level level of depth to Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. And let me be so very clear. I'm not saying that trauma is good or happens for your benefit. That's a theological position that folks choose to take, but that is not what we believe. What we believe is that nothing that happens to us, no matter how bad, is outside the redemptive work of God. God works in many ways, sometimes miraculously and instantaneously, perhaps more often in the slow, long, hard, good work of bearing our wounds with those that we trust. If we believe that Jesus' resurrected self is good and beautiful, y'all, we're going to have to believe that our imperfect selves are good and beautiful too. Not after we're healed, not when we're no longer wounded, but when but our unhealed, wounded selves are good and beautiful too. Your unhealed and wounded self is good and beautiful too. I know you hear me talk about trauma really often and sometimes I annoy myself with it, but I just think it's really important because the capital C church has done a really bad job historically of talking about trauma and caring for people in their trauma. And that means that those of us who want to do it differently are just going to have to really push to tell a different story. And our trauma is not ever an excuse to hurt each other. That's really hard. I think it's really true to say that hurt people hurt people. But in Jesus, we see that that doesn't have to be true. In the kingdom, Jesus's wounds are used for healing, not hurting Thomas and the disciples. Jesus's wounds bring healing, not hurting I believe that can be true for us too. Not because God wounds us or allows us to be wounded in order that our wounds can be used to heal others. That's bad theology. No, it's because our wounds have happened to us and do not have the last word over us because of our resurrected, wounded Jesus. Now, after... The hands in the wounds, 
Jesus does say to Thomas and those gathered, you have seen and believed. But how much more blessed as those who have believed and not seen? I don't, I've heard that read as a chastisement of like, you needed evidence and that's fine, but it's better if you wouldn't have needed evidence. And I don't think we need to read that as a chastisement. Instead, I wonder if the author of the gospel is giving us those human beings that they know will read this in a future where Jesus isn't still bodily here, encouragement for our faith. We don't have the opportunity to see Jesus' wounds the way they did, but we're going to believe and we will be blessed by that. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Peace and love to you all.